Refuge Church. My name is Tony Winkler, and I'm the pastor here and one of the pastors. And so we're just glad to have you and glad to have you at this hour. And I hope that you've come today to receive, and we're, we're starting something new. I'm going to do something probably a little bit different than what I normally do. You know, when you, when you come to these services, you come to, especially when we get closer to Christmas, uh, you find out how it's, it's a different level of, uh, of service. I, that's the only way that I can sp- explain it. And today we want it to be a whole new level. And we're, we pray today that you will, during these next three weeks, invite somebody to come. Maybe a lost person, maybe somebody, a neighbor, somebody that doesn't know the Lord. Because what we're doing is we're wanting to try to gear this toward them. You say, well, Pastor, every service ought to be geared toward the lost. I agree, but I believe that these moments are when people come. Some people say, well, and some folks would get upset. Well, they only show up on Easter and Christmas. I'm not offended by that as long as they'll show up. If they'll just show up. Because I don't, it's hard to get it when you don't come. But if you'll invite somebody, they will. And we're going to see God do something great. And here's what I want to do today. I'm, I'm going to do my best to share with you something, and my wife can attest that we've, we've worked and worked very diligently on this. But we want to use some clips from a, a movie, and, and we're going to do this to help do something that I believe that Jesus did. Now, he didn't use clips from a movie, but he did use parables and stories to convey truths to the generation that he was speaking to at the time. He didn't have these things. And when I was a kid growing up, movies was something we did not do. As a matter of fact, when my parents got, gave their hearts to the Lord in the 1970s, there was a lot of things that stopped in our life. We just didn't do it anymore. You just didn't get to go. I mean, some of you might have been raised in one of the churches like I was. They said, you don't want to be in a movie theater if Jesus comes back because you won't go. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you've heard that. I remember the last movie that my parents took me to as a kid uh, before they gave their hearts to Christ. But it's amazing to me how what we want to do today is take something that's been around for a long time and use it as leverage to lead into talking about what really matters in life. Because there's some things, we could come in here and preach a message to you and really give you three points, a poem and a prayer And you can walk out of here and say, well, that was good. Pat somebody on the back and say that it was. But when we get to this point right now, there's a lot of people dealing with a lot of stuff. And they really just need some practical ways to be able to make it to tomorrow. And I say that with all reality and all sincerity. Most of you know uh, that this time, four years ago, I lost my hero. I lost my dad. Tomorrow would be four years. And we were talking on our way in, Bethany and I were, about how hard and how difficult this time, because my dad loved Christmas. I'm a second-gen pastor. He, he loved this time. He loved people. He never pastored a church. I never, never pastored a very large church, but he loved people, and he loved Jesus. And he loved Christmas. He would ask mom, Mom, can we put the tree up? You know, it's Thanksgiving. Can we get the tree up? Just so he could just sit and watch it. I remember him as a kid laying in the carpet on the floor looking at the tree, just nothing there except the tree and the lights, but he loved it that much. So I realize how hard it can be for some people during this time. Maybe you've lost something, someone. Maybe you're going through a very difficult time in your life. And sometimes it takes experiences. Sometimes 
near-death experiences for some people to really understand what really matters in life. And then you got some folks that come to church and say, well, I didn't come to church to watch a movie. I, I come here to, you know, hear somebody preach. And, uh, you know, the truth of it is we'll pay $20, $30 to go watch a movie. We'll pay 20 bucks, whatever, for popcorn or whatever it is. Now, here's the good thing today. This won't cost you anything. It won't cost you anything. And I want to I use these clips to share with you a little bit and try to put some, some, something, to give something to you. I told you that Jesus did this. I'm, I'm just trying to lead this out and get where we're going. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 34, look at what Jesus said. He did this to teach the people of his day. He said, Jesus used stories and illustrations when he was speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. He knew that he needed to take the time to teach to them, not just the laws of Moses, he, to read to them or to give them stories and parables to relate to them. He would take some time to share with them something about what they understood to help them understand something they didn't know anything about or they didn't understand. And I believe that this method is called using what is cultural to teach what is timeless. And I know that right now in the age that we're in in church, church has changed a lot since I came to church. It's very different. And some people say, well, we've got to do certain things to be relevant and this, that, and the other. And I get all of that. I get the lights. I get all of that thing. And I think it's wonderful. And some people would just, you know, I've heard a lot of different things from a lot of different people. But I really believe that Jesus is timeless. And the message of Jesus Christ is timeless. And sometimes we have to convey the message of Christ in a specific method in order to be able to lodge it real deep into a person's heart who doesn't know anything about Jesus or who is searching for Jesus because right now we're living in one of the most spiritually seeking generations of all times. If you don't believe that, just pay attention to your kids. Pay attention to what they're watching. Look at the movies that are coming out and you will see that people are looking for something. They want something that is bigger and greater than they are. They they want to attach themselves. Well, I want you to know from the, your pastor's heart to you, there is something greater than you. It is something bigger than you. There is someone who can help you, who can, uh, when you need him, will be there. He isn't just a, like a flashlight on a shelf, but he promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus did a lot of this. He often shook the people up when he would teach from the bow of the boat instead of going to a table in the temple. He used unconventional methods to teach a timeless message. So I'm going to teach you. This is going. I'm going to give you a 30-second clip here to kind of help you know where we're going this morning. And hopefully they can get it rolling. You know what's amazing is that I get a smile out of you this morning because most of you have seen that. You, or you've heard those words. 
over and over again. It's one of the best-known Christmas classics of all time. It's one of the greatest stories it could be. And so to research it and kind of look about where did this come from, what, is the, what happened here, it was actually a book. It started out to be a book in the 1950s is when it was written. And it was written by a man by the name of Ted Giesel, or most of us know him as Dr. Seuss. See, you guys know this but without me ever teaching it to you. But Ted was about 53 years old in the story, and I'll give you this short storyline of this. He was about 53 years old, and he began to realize in his life that something was happening. That he would look into the mirror, and he would see this old gentleman. If you've ever seen a picture of him, you're going to know what I'm talking about. He got these big old glasses, and he said all he saw was this grinchy look on his face. As a matter of fact, his stepdaughter said this about him, that when her dad was in a good mood, he was the cat in the hat. Y'all know that one. And when he was in a bad mood, he was the Grinch. And some of us understand that. We get that because a lot of us understand that's how life just sometimes can be. Well, we know that in the 1960s, I believe it was about 1966, that it came out as a movie and it's been aired every year since then. It has come along. Now, I want to just give you this. Webster defines a Grinch as a person who lacks enthusiasm, a person who has a bad temper, a person who is a, has a depressing effect on others. Now, there's a lot of things when you think about a Grinch and you think about the attitude of a Grinch, you can think about how even in yourself, if you're not careful during this time of the year, that, I'm going to call it, spirit of Grinch can just jump all over you. Now, yesterday, it was pouring down the rain. We did not get out with the intentions of doing any kind of Christmas shopping, but we did, to, we did go into two stores, and we did make our way, and we were in Jackson. And can I tell you something? If you're not careful, the spirit of Grinch can get on you quickly. People will cut you off. They will drive in front of you. They will get to. They will. They will get in. They will see you go into a parking spot and will squeeze their way in just to get there. And you either you need to know that the spirit of the Lord in you is greater than the spirit of the Grinch trying to mess with you. Aren't you? Are you there with me? So to give you this, the Grinch. We know he's this guy that can. You know he can be really Grinchy. He lives in a small. Uh, the Who's live in a small village. It's a, it's a group of people. And they love to sing. They love Christmas. They love the spirit of Christmas. They love to celebrate Christmas. But the Grinch, the Grinch is a mean one, Mr. Grinch. I want you to notice a couple things that I really started pulling from this, and I've watched it a lot, is that the Grinch lives in a place, look at this, north of Whoville. He doesn't live with them. He lives in a cave north of Whoville, and he has a dog, and the dog's name is Max. Roll the next clip for me.
Now, can't you identify with that? Some of you don't really want to say yes. But I want you to notice that how this is something that I want you to get is that he, he is so miserable with where he's at in his life. He's so miserable that he's not happy. If you notice in the clip, little Max comes out wagging his tail. He's looking down at Whoville. He's thinking about how happy Christmas could be. And the Grinch hates the fact that he's happy. Can I tell you that Grinchy people hate the fact that you're happy, but there's something that happens that causes this. One of them, I believe, is that isolation. Where does he live? He lives in a cave where? North of Whoville. He doesn't live with everybody else. And there's nothing good about isolation. I'm going somewhere with this. It is different. Just stick with me a moment. I'm hoping that someone, it will, it will help you. Isolation will cause your heart, if you're not careful, to shrink. And there's nothing good about it, especially during this time of the season. Nobody likes to feel lonely. God made us, God created us to need Him, and He created us to need each other. Let me say it again. God created us to need Him, and He created us to need each other. And when we begin to isolate ourselves, what we do is we separate ourselves out from God and then we separate ourselves out from others and we become lonely and we become joyless and we just absolutely get miserable. And I want to tell you, I don't know what's going on in your life or your situation right now, but God does not want you to be, He doesn't want you to live lonely and He doesn't want you to live without joy in your heart. From the very beginning, God wanted us to live in community. He wanted us to live together. But isolations, isolation uh, makes your heart shrink, but it also will cause false assumptions to grow. When you isolate yourself out, then you begin to think, you know what, maybe there's some stuff going on that I didn't know about. Have you ever heard about people talking, you know, they, they think that somebody's talking about them somewhere, someone else, somewhere else. In other words, they, they, they distance themselves and then they start to dream up things in their mind. They start to think about, well, that's probably what's going on. And what they do is they, they seem to think that things are real, but it's really not real. I've had people that I knew that was what was going on in their life. When you, when you, why is it that we assume the worst when instead of the best, it's the what we do when we isolate ourselves from others. We start connecting the dots to create stories that turn into problems. And listen to me, when we've got to stop inviting the problems and we've got to stop assuming things because it'll make up stories in your mind that are absolutely not true and it will leave you living without joy. False assumption always invites problems. False you're assuming that somebody said something. You assume that somebody's talking about you. You assume all of these things. Isolation will cause you to assume things that are really absolutely not true. And church can be one of the worst places that that can happen. People that are filled with joy know that jumping to a conclusion is really a bad idea. It's not a good thing. I, I mentioned something, I think it was on social media some time back about speaking into a, a situation that you really don't know anything about really, really shows ignorance. 
when you just jump out and you speak into a situation that you really don't know what it's about, that's really showing ignorance on your part because what you're doing is assuming that what you're saying is truth and what you're saying is right, but most of the time it makes us end up looking like something we don't want to look like. Amen. I'll give you an example. This is, I know, very different. It's very out of, it's different for the way that I do things, but hear this. Text messages. Text messages and emails. I think, I think that technology is a great thing. The older I get, the more I kind of push back from it. And it's, it makes me push back and where the kids are all into it. And uh, I was noticing she's got on a, an Apple Watch. And I got one of those a, a few years back and began to realize that I was so connected that I couldn't even get away from my cell phone because it's now here on my arm. And every I kept thinking, I got it for my birthday and I kept wondering what the vibrating was on my arm. And it was my, my watch now telling me that somebody was texting or trying to call me and it was the last thing that I really wanted. You, you know what I'm talking about. If you're taking a day away, you don't want to know. Every, you, every, you're trying to relax you don't, you don't want to do that. Now, that's not isolation. That's, that's just saying, hey, I need, to, I need to get a little bit of rest. But texting can and technology can lead to isolation and it can lead to assumption. How do you know that? Well, have you ever texted somebody and you did not get a text back quick enough and you thought, why didn't they text me back? Now tell me that from that, false assumptions did not begin to grow. Especially if your conversation prior might have been a little bit sketchy. It may not have been what you thought it should have been. You will begin to think, hey, they absolutely just don't want to text me back. They are upset. They are mad. Have you ever thought about, just a moment, just, just stay with me again. I know this is different. Some of you would love to have a bunch of scriptures and some more points and that might help you. But hear this. Have you ever thought about when they text you or uh, that because you might have, or they text or you text them that it might, you might have been busy or they may have been busy? And that the fact that they text you back uh, might be when they have time, just like it is with you when you have time, and that it really isn't an issue. And I'm telling you all of this to, te- to say this to you guys. Listen, I understand. I know. There are people that sit with me at times and say, I cannot believe your phone has went off that many times. I had a lady in Walmart one day said, Pastor, every time I see you, you've got a phone in your head. And I said, I know. I, 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 it's sometimes just the way that it is. And sometimes I would love to take it and throw it as far as I could totally throw it just to be able not to have to deal with the phone for a while. And, but it's the, it's the society that we've been accustomed to and it's what we're acclimated to. But here's the thing. False assumptions. Amen. Will cause you to think the worst instead of believe the best. I said, false assumption will cause you to think the worst instead of believe the best. Uh, you know, I, I get this regularly, and I say regularly. As a pastor, I have the tendency if you're out in town and I did not for some reason notice you or see you on Sunday morning or at a service to say these words, Hey, how have you been? We missed you in worship on Sunday. 
It's just what we do. It's not a loaded question of where have you been? Why were you not there? It's truly, uh, it's truly honestly, uh, sincerely out of concern that, hey, we didn't miss you. We didn't notice that you weren't there. We knew that you weren't there. We're not, we're not asking, I'm not asking for you to give me an excuse or to tell me where you were or why you didn't come. It's simply to say, hey, I love you. I care about you. I did notice you weren't here Sunday and we're, we, we look forward to seeing you on Wednesday or on Sunday again. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah. Amen. So it's not, a, it's not a loaded question about all of those things. Before you make a false assumption about someone, take the time to know that person better. You were not created to live alone. You were built for community. Genesis 2 and 18, when God was creating, the Bible says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. You know what that tells me? I really feel like, believe from reading the scriptures that the reason it's not good for you to live alone, the reason it's not good uh, for you to be alone, the reason you say, well, I don't, I'm not married. You know what? That's why you need community and why you need church. That's why you need a small group. That's why you need a house-to-house small group. You need to be connected. I'm telling you all of this because joy really comes, I believe, with a face-to-face fellowship with God. You mean I'm seeing God face-to-face? I believe that you can come into a service like this where it's community and people are worshiping and you just experience something that you you don't get everywhere else. I believe that God can be anywhere at all times. He's God. He can do what He wants to do. But isn't it amazing that you can show up into a worship service and you can begin to worship and forget about whatever, everything else that's going on and it's almost as if God is more there right then than He is anywhere else? That, that's us. That's you and I. And listen to me. This, this walk with Christ is more. It is more than just a Sunday morning thing. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's something that we develop. It's something that we do through prayer. It's something that we do through reading His love letters from His Word and saying, God, I need you to speak to me. I may not understand everything that's in this Bible, but God, I know that your Spirit can teach me all things. I know that He can show me. I know more than anything else, Lord, you love me. And you want a relationship with me. Why did he create Adam and Eve in the garden? Because God wanted community. He wanted fellowship. He wanted relationship with man. Too many people get caught up on the idea that God is this God about judgment and God wants to destroy us and God's tired of us. Can I tell you that if God wanted to judge and destroy us, He could have done it a long time ago. He could have done it whenever, whenever Noah was, uh, the flood came. He could have destroyed man then. He didn't have to let Noah on the boat. But the good news is this, that when God commanded Noah or told him to build a boat, the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord long Long before grace was ever thought about, long before Jesus, before man would ever think about God, had a plan, amen, that Jesus would come from heaven to earth and save you and me. He never wanted us to live isolated. He wanted fellowship with us. It's not good for man to be alone, but I'm going to tell you, it's not good for man to be without Jesus either. Amen, amen. So it's time for us to step out. And do what 
God would ask us to do. What, what's Christmas all about anyway? It's about, Jesus, it's about God sending His Son to us. It's a face-to-face expression of Himself. God did not want you to live in isolation, so He sent Jesus. you got to get out of your cave of isolation and step into relationship. Be careful because, listen, that, that isolation doesn't cause you to assume things that aren't true because it can cause your heart to shrink, number one. Let me, let me show you this next clip. We've only got two, two of these left. Now, one of the things that I did not tell you at the beginning of this was that the writer of this uh, book, and the, uh, of course, this being made into a movie, I did tell you that was, he was writing it about himself, but he actually began to write about himself, about the things he did not like and what he saw, what he wanted to change. So the things that you hear him saying. Now, I did read this too, and I didn't know it. How many remember, I believe it's the uh, Tony the Tiger and, I, and my mind slips me, but the same guy that sings this is apparently the same guy that did the voice of Tony the Tiger, which I did not know until recently, which is pretty interesting to know that. But one of the things I want to share with you about the Grinch is that he's now not in the cave, not in Whoville, but he has infiltrated, or not in the cave, but now he's infiltrated Whoville. He has went down to where everybody's enjoying themselves. Isn't it something that, have you ever met somebody that's miserable with themselves? They don't like themselves. When I was about 16 years old, I worked for a guy in the grocery store. I don't, I, I'm not even sure this has been a long time ago. It wasn't definitely not in this town. It's been a lot of years ago. And this guy literally did not like himself and he did not like anybody else. And it was very obvious that that was his life. But the, the thing that what I began to realize was my dad said something to me. He said, son, he's miserable and he wants everybody that works with him and for him to be miserable too. And here's the thing. You don't, you can have, have you ever been around somebody and you were good? You felt good? You're, you had joy? You knew you had joy? But you got you started hanging out with somebody that kind of was negative, condescending. You didn't have to be around them long till you felt like the same way. That if you're not careful that you start doing the same stuff and you start saying the same thing that they do, well, I want to tell you, you and I both, whether we 
understand this or totally agree with it is there is an enemy that we deal with. And sometimes that enemy is our own self. But a lot of times what we're dealing with is the enemy of our soul that really wants to take away the joy that we have. Because if the only way you can know joy, true, lasting joy, doesn't come from stuff, it doesn't come from things, because the Grinch is trying to steal their things and steal their Christmas and to take away their joy. But we're going to find out that stuff isn't what makes you joy. You don't think that's true. Just run on down to the dealership and buy you a brand new car. And you can't, you know, now it's not. Now it's not $10,000 or fifteen for a new car. Now it's thirty dollars plus $1,000 for a new car. Spend that money on that car. You got kids, let them eat a fudge sickle in the back seat and let them get all the, you know, that stuff for grandkids and let them get all that stuff in there. Make the notes up to about six months and you'll find out that that did not bring you the joy that you really wanted because that car will depreciate. It depreciated when you drove it off the lot. And you know what? Your joy a lot of times will depreciate if, you put in, if you're putting your faith in that bringing you joy, come on somebody, you ladies that have got so many pairs of shoes, and you've got tons of shoes. And, and you say, if I could just get another pair of shoes, not all of you are like this, but if I could get another pair of shoes, though, that pair of shoes might bring me happiness. And you, you like them and you, all of those things, but they look bad. Men were the same way. If it's another fishing rod or another gun, Things will not bring you happiness or joy. They can bring you happiness. But happiness, I have found, can be very temporal. It can come and it can go. You can be up one day and down the other day. Come on, somebody. So the enemy would love to steal your joy. He, the Grinch goes, gets a Santa suit. He starts stealing the Christmas ornaments. He even takes the last can of who? Hash. While the town sleeping, no one is wiser, but there is one who wakes up, and she's my favorite, Cindy Lou Who. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this The thief does not come except to steal, kill, destroy. But I've come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. So the enemy can steal your joy and look, while he's stealing or while he's trying to take from you, you cannot even realize, you can be unassuming that it's even gone. The Grinch wanted everyone to live miserable. The enemy is sly. He is miserable. And he would love to use things in your life. He would love to give you more stuff to do so that you feel like you are miserable. The everyday grind of life can be taxing on your joy. And I'll tell you a couple things real quick that can steal your joy. And we're going to get close to closing, but hear this. Number one. I believe one of the number one top things that can steal a person's joy, no matter how long they've been in church, no matter how long they've been a Christian, is comparison. And comparison is really huge because right now you can think that you have... You had the best birthday you have ever had. Your husband or whoever, your wife, whatever, got you the best gift ever. This happened to me. This happened to me. I'm telling you the truth. Comparison will rob you of joy. It can if you spend your life comparing. Why? Because it breeds discontentment and therefore steals joy. I never will forget. It's been a little while back and 
my wife, this, it's been two or three years back, and this, she talked about this camera for Christmas. And, and, and you guys, they usually, she told me this morning that they drop hints. They just do it all year long. You just got to remember to put the notes in your phone or write them down. And so when we get to Christmas, it's like, okay, baby, you haven't mentioned anything you want or you need. And, oh, yeah, I did. I just did it back in, I did it back in April on the 15th, and you didn't hear me. Okay. So this one birthday uh, came along, and my wife and I, you know, just, we, you know, it's us. Our kids are in college or gone out of college and work and do whatever they do now, or, you know, live in their life. All of them married. We love them, so it's us. And so now, we, so she found this camera that she wanted, and the camera was pretty expensive. It wasn't a cheap camera, but it was one that she could carry when we'd get to do trips and take these pictures. And so I bought this camera, and we were away somewhere, and I took it with me. And, man, it was just such a great thing. And I gave her the, the camera and surprised her. She had no idea that I had even bought this thing. And I give it to her, and we're, we're in, uh, on a trip and in a hotel on a trip, and I thought, man, this is so great. Y'all with, hang with me. And so I'm talking to a buddy of mine like a little while later, and I'm telling him about, you know, this and everything else. And he said, you know, on my wife's, and he said, I don't know, maybe I'm going to say 40th birthday because I don't even remember now. What stuck out to me was what he bought. He said, I got my wife a new BMW. And I did then what I'm doing now. I was like, I failed. And the truth is, she said, no. The truth of it is, I knew that I didn't. But here's what happens. Comparison makes you think you did. You, you think somehow or another, you know, I missed the mark. She really wanted this, but I got, you know what? Social media, as good as it is, as great as it can be, has its downfalls, and that's one of those things. You thought you were having a great vacation out on a sandbar with a, a tent and all the family and all of this other stuff until you see somebody else's uh, vacation in Maui. And you realize, you know what? If you compare them, look at, listen to this. Here's what happens, and this is what will happen, is it breeds discontentment in our spirit, in our life, and we think somehow or another, I'm just not living up to the standard. But I like what Paul said in Philippians 4.11. He said, I'm not saying this because I am in need, because most of us are not in need. We just had missionaries from Honduras. We listen and we hear what they go through and what we see. And I'm telling you, they have a great need down in Honduras. South America, they have a great need. That's what this legacy Christmas offering is all about. They have a great need. Most of us in America, we don't have a great need. We got food on our table. Come on, somebody. We got a, we got a roof over our head. We, we, our car may not be a BMW, but it's getting us to church and back. You know what I'm saying? And work to back. Everybody else may think it's a hoopty, but you know it's it's getting us there right Paul said this I found out that and I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances you know what guys listen to this a lot of your joy is tied to being content where you are now I mean I believe Jesus uh, you know I, I believe that joy true lasting joy comes from a relationship with Jesus when I talk about 
him stealing it, I don't mean that he's actually taking away something Jesus gives you. Hold on just a minute. Because I don't believe that he can steal away what Jesus takes. But I want to tell you something. He sure put a damper totally on it and make you think it's gone. But Paul said, I found out, you know what? I just got to be content because, look at this, ingratitude is always associated with a discontent spirit that says, I'm never satisfied. I've never had enough. And it's dangerous to compare your situation to somebody else. And I want you to know that I'm not certain preachers and I I won't ever be that. But you know what? God is not going to help me to be like somebody else. That's not what He called me to do. He called me to be me. And I have to be me. And God created me different just like He created you different in order to make a difference. And if everybody was like me, this world would be boring. I'm just checking. And some of us laugh, but the truth of it is, if the world was all like you, you might think, man, it would be boring. Aren't you glad that God didn't create, create us in bunches like bananas, in bunches like grapes, but He made us different? He made us different to make a difference. So if you're constantly comparing you to someone else, listen, you you can't compare your giftedness to someone else. Your identity is not in what you wear, in what you live in, come on somebody, or what you drive. Some of you could tell these stories, and i got to hurry up to finish here on this, but, you know, maybe everybody in school drove uh, your high school's driving something better than what you're driving maybe you're not driving anything i had a i had a 76 orange very bright like not ut orange but like very bright red to orange car and some of you've heard me tell the story that was pulled off the side of the road had to put a motor in it you know and and, and that was what i drove and i thought man this is the greatest thing in the world i got wheels That's what I was thinking. Until I went to work one day, and a buddy of mine who worked at the same, I was working at a grocery store in the produce department trying to get to college. His daddy brought him a brand new 80, whatever, 6, 7 model Firebird. My Chevette didn't look so great anymore. But I want to tell you something. Listen to this. My identity can't be wrapped up in what I drive or what I, where I'm living in or, or what I'm living in. What do I do, Pastor? Put you some wheels on that hoopty. <laughs> I'm going to move on. <laughs> the next top thing, let, let me give this to you. This is one. Somebody posted this, and I thought it was cool. It was a picture. Isn't this true? I'm, well, you're talking about comparison. Industries, a lot of you have seen it, and I know it's kind of distant for somebody shot it out of their car window. And it's a house that looks like something off of the, the uh, you know, the, what is it? I'm thinking about that great fight-like thing they do, you know, with all those things. And then over here, this person just says, ditto. Whatever they're saying there, I'm saying that there. Because the thing of it is, no matter how big you try to make it, Somebody else is always stepping up the game. Are you with me? So the next top thing that can steal your joy is overload. You get too busy. A lot of people think that business is good, but I'm going to tell you business 
can cause you to rush to what's next and not enjoy what's now. I said busyness can cause you to rush to what's next and you don't even enjoy what's now. As much as, as you want to be joyful, if you're not careful, life will, be, will overload you during Christmas time. You'll have a difficult time maintaining your joy. Well, if joy comes from Jesus Christ, how in the world can I ever do anything about that in maintaining your relationship with Him? Keeping your joy, keeping your Christmas in more of a simple way will help a lot of that. As a matter of fact, we're going to share, share this last clip with you as we get ready to close. The Grinch takes all of the Who's Christmas decorations in this next one. Or he's already done it. always love a happy ending. Maybe today some of you are dealing with some of this. This, this is what this is, this is about, to get you to see, connect to you some timeless truths from what, we're, what we see in our own culture. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're, the enemy of your soul is trying to take away the joy that you have. And I want you to just hear this, that true, lasting joy only comes from Christ. It's not boxes, it's not ribbons, it's not bows, it's not any of those things. For most of us, we're running around trying to buy, maybe for your kids, I never will forget us doing that. One of the last years we were trying to buy for, you know how you're trying to buy for everybody. And we were trying to find a particular sweater for a, for a particular relative of mine. And my wife stopped in the middle of it and she said, this is crazy. And I realize that my kids and your children and your grandchildren need to understand that joy only comes from Jesus. Listen to this. That joy doesn't come from things around the tree. Joy comes from the one who hung on the tree. It's not the stuff under the tree. This Christmas... Maybe God's trying to eliminate some stuff out of your life to show us that your personal joy, my personal joy, is not somebody else's responsibility. It's my own. As much as I love my wife, and Beth and I just passed that 30-year mark of being married, as much as I care about her, as much as she brings joy in my life, she's not the source of my joy. And if you're not careful in a relationship, you can look to someone else or something else that only God can give you. 
You can look to them and think that's, that's who it is, but it's not really. And, and, and here's the thing. If Jesus is the one who can give you true lasting joy, that really, really says something. And we used to sing a song about it. If the world, didn't, uh, if the world doesn't give it to you, then the world can't take it away. That means that if this is true, then Jesus on the inside is more important than what's going on on the outside. That's why I believe that in a world that is in, in what I would call somewhat of sh- uh, in shambles and in a mess, that the greatest thing is, even though all of this stuff's going on on the outside, what's going on on the inside of your life can be a peace that only comes from God too. Joy is a choice. It isn't circumstances or things. It is a, it's, a, it's a choice. I want you to stand with me if you will. We're going to close. A huge, huge mistake that we can make in, in our walk with God is thinking that our joy and our circumstances are tied to things. If my circumstances were different, then maybe that would be happy. That would make me happy. If it takes things to make you happy, then when you lose those things, you're going to be unhappy. And if happiness can be lost, then joy isn't supernatural, but I believe that it can be supernatural. I want to introduce you to the one who can give you true joy, who can give you lasting joy. If it doesn't come from ribbons, boxes, and bows, if it doesn't come from gifts under a tree, from toys that your kids will not even remember six months or less, most of us cannot, and some of you could, and I'm, I'm all for that. But if I was to come back and just sporadically pick one or two of you and say, can you tell me in three seconds one thing you got last year for Christmas? Some of you could, but many of us couldn't. We couldn't even remember. We couldn't remember those things. But let, let me just tell you, I do remember one thing about my life. In February of 1979... When Jesus Christ was introduced into my life and I knelt at a little altar in a a place called Russellville, Tennessee and I gave my heart to Christ. My mom, my dad, my family did not know Christ. They were not living for Jesus. We had no background. We had nothing to connect ourselves to. But when Jesus walked into my life that day in 1979, My dad, at 32 years old, got up from three rows back and walked down with tears flowing down his face, gave his heart to Christ. He never forgot that. He preached it and breathed it and believed it until he passed away. And this day, my family knows Christ, and many of you know Christ, and many others know Christ, because a 10-year-old boy gave his heart to Christ many years ago. You know what? When that joy walks in, it doesn't walk out. It isn't temporal. It doesn't leave you. Amen. It isn't temporal. I want you to do something for me today. Would you, all over this building, bow your heads with me? And I want to ask you, this is the way, it will be different maybe than what we've done in the past, but let let me just do this this way because this is what I want to commit to you during the next couple of weeks as we go on. For you to be able to bring your lost friends, to bring your family, your neighbors, whoever that don't know Christ and be able to introduce them to the one that can bring them joy. Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord. If you've come into this house today 
And you say, Pastor, you've talked about joy, and you've talked about uh, you know, it try, not really having joy like I want to have joy. But I don't even know this Jesus you're talking about. I thought it was all about this baby in a manger, but you're talking about a guy who came and gave his life. I'd, I'd like to know him. 